Aloha Mission Church. What a joy to be together with you today. If, uh, if you're a guest with us, and this is your first Sunday, welcome. You're here on a great day. Today, I'm starting a brand new sermon series. Over the past few months, we've been working through a lot of things um, since Advent, Christmas of last year. We worked through kind of a, a, a sermon series on our Christology to understand Jesus. And then from right after Easter, that went from Christmas to Easter, well, Advent to Easter. And then right after Easter, we began a brand new sermon series called Our Christology. And we, we really dug deep to understand the theology of the church and who it is that we are. and How do we live into that? But today we're starting a brand new sermon series. And um, this sermon series is called Our Oikonomia. Everybody say oikonomia. It's not a Hawaiian word. It's a Greek word. And besides Pastor Bob, how many knows what oikonomia means? Anybody? Barbie, come up here. Barbie, do you know what... Stand right here. Do you know what oikonomia means? Oikonomia means stewardship. Wow. Children, you are dismissed to go to Sunday school. Thank you, Barbie. She helped us with understanding. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. You got to go Sunday school that way. <laughs> Bye, Lucas. <laughs> Barbie knew what oikonomia means, and she helped me to remember to dismiss the kids to Sunday school. So good. Wow. Well, there you go. We have, we're starting a brand new series called Our Stewardship. And um, I just want you to know that as I have been planning and preparing for this, I'm really excited to bring these messages to you. And, and through it all, my hope and my prayer is that we would all get a better understanding of, of what stewardship looks like and what it means for us to take part in it, for us to, to, to not only understand it, but live into it as a part of this church. So my sermon today is called Tithes and Offerings 101, right? And, and anytime you hear 101, that means like it's, it's, it's the entry-level class. It's the basic class. But I promise you, that today, no matter how long you've been in the church, I, I, I believe that you will learn something about stewardship and about all that we're talking about today. And so, um, to begin with, because this is a 101 sermon, <laughs> I thought it'd be good to define some terms for us. And so, the place that you go to define terms is either Siri, right? Hey, Siri, or you go to Google. So, I just chose to go to Google. And and I just wanted to share with you what Google says and gives us the definition for stewardship. So, I put it up here on the board. And when you type up uh, what, what is stewardship, Google will tell you that stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something such as an organization or property, it is also defined as the careful and responsible management of something. And then we go, yep, that's pretty much what stewardship is. But in the church, we view stewardship a little bit differently because of the context of our understanding of stewardship. We don't just talk about the stewardship of 
just general things, right? We, we, we take the Word of God and we allow the Word of God to inform us about stewardship. And so I typed in biblical stewardship. And then this is what Google spit out. Google says biblical stewardship is utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. The central essence of a biblical worldview, stewardship, is managing everything God brings into the believer's life in a manner that honors God. If you think that's good, say amen. Not bad. Not bad from Google, right? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> we got the endorsement right there. <laughs> but I will tell you that from my perspective, there's one thing that this definition lacks that I believe helps us to have a better context of understanding biblical stewardship. It's missing this very important thing, and it is the perspective. It's a perspective. And all we do to, to change this perspective, if you don't mind, JC, could you put that, that definition back up? Because I want to just make reference to it. The perspective that I think Google misses, and, and, and maybe this is just semantics, but I think that if, if, if we take the word all, right, utilizing and managing all resources God provides, that word all, if we just move it in a different direction or a different spot, that it would better define biblical stewardship for us. So instead of saying utilizing and managing all resources God provides, the change would be and the understanding of the perspective should be that God provides all the resources. Not just the resources that he provides, but every resource that we have comes from him. And so, instead of saying God provides all resources, the, the little difference, or, yeah, instead of saying utilizing and managing all resources God provides, it should say utilizing and managing the resources of God, like all of it is from God. I have it in my notes, and I don't know why I can't say it well right here. <laughs> you place the all in a different perspective, in a different place. Instead of saying all resources that God provides, it should say God provides all the resources. That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. If I just read my notes, I could do it well. And, and this little difference makes all the difference. When you understand that it's not just the resources that we get, like the resources that God provides, but God provides all of it. God provides all the resources. And we, we understand this when we look at James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. So hear the word of the Lord. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And verse 18 says this, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Wow. This verse is full of, full of great truth as it relates to stewardship. So church, 
one thing that this verse tells us is that our faith comes from God. All that we have comes from God. And this verse also tells us something, and it uses a word that we don't often use. This is why this is a 101 class. We're going to give definitions to it. It says that we are a kind of first fruits of all of God's creation. This, this word, first fruits, right, of all that God created, is, is something important for us to understand. First fruits is a, is a term of stewardship. In the Old Testament, first fruits were the offerings or, or, or the gifts that the, the people of God gave when they harvested the grain harvest. So at the very beginning, when, when the, the grain was ready to be harvested, they harvested all the grain, and it was required by the law in Leviticus for the first of it to be given to God. That's what first fruits is. Leviticus 23.14 You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. And so before anything, when we harvest the grain, before we make bread, before we give it away, we give the first part of it to God. Okay? That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the understanding of what first fruits is. Before Israel could do anything with the grain, they harvested. They need to bring the first fruits of it to God. So the message of this, of this passage, of understanding first fruits, is that there's a message of priority and a message of preeminence. The priority here is to give to God the first of what you get. Right? And then the, that's the priority, to give God the first of what you get. The preeminence is to give God the best of it all. Because he deserves it. Right? And it is a call to make God the top priority. And I, I can tell you from my own personal life, and maybe you are similar to me, in the times when I didn't give God priority, and I didn't give God preeminence, do you know where that left God? Right out of the picture. Because when we don't give God the first, then God gets relegated Somewhere after that. Oftentimes, he doesn't get anything. Or, he gets the leftovers of our day, of our time, of our attention, of our affection. If we don't choose to make God first, then God's not first. He's last. Even if he's second, he's last. He gets the leftovers, not the best, Right? And, and I'll be honest with you. There have been times in my life where I've not given God preeminence and priority in my life. And it says right here in James chapter 118, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. We are to be called to give our best our first and our best of ourselves to God. 
Because when God's not given the first fruits of our lives, he's not the priority. He's relegated to the back and he's offered the leftovers of our lives. And uh, that falls short of being a good steward. And so, when, 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 you, when we look at this passage, though, you, you say, well, Pastor Gordon, um, we live in a very different world today, right? Because we don't harvest grain <laughs> to, 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 to offer to God. That's not what we do anymore. Um, how, how does this first fruits apply to us then? Well, let's take a deeper look in Leviticus and look at chapter 27, verse 30, where it says a tithe everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so, along with the first fruits that we talk about in Leviticus 23, we read in verse 27, then there's a tithe. And so, you hear the word tithe every Sunday when you come to church, right? We're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. Will the ushers please come forward? Oh, that's one thing I didn't put into my sermon. Ushers. No, we won't talk about ushers. But <laughs> God, for God, when we read this passage of Scripture here in Leviticus 27, it says that this tithe is, is holy to the Lord. This tithe is set apart for God. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart for God's use. And so, for the Israelites... Their, their whole livelihood, right? Their whole livelihood came from the land and the crops uh, that they got from the animals. And the tithe came from that part of their currency. That was, that was their currency. And so this word tithe, right, we, we use it all the time. It comes from an old English word. And that old English word tithe means a tenth. Okay, so... It means a tenth. And when, when I read this passage up, I looked it up, and I don't speak Hebrew, and I didn't take the class, and so I had to look up the word that they used here for tithe, and it's ma'aser, which also means a tenth. Okay? So we understand it has value here, right? But this is the problem with the value and our misunderstanding of, of biblical stewardship and tithing. And that is this. The mistake is that when we talk about a tithe and the tenth, right? The mistake is that we think this is God's part, the tenth. When biblical stewardship, as we began the service with, is no, all of it's God's. And what we do is we're, we, God calls us to be good stewards of all that he's given us. Do you guys get that? And that's why the initial definition of biblical stewardship fell short from Google, and I wanted to make it clear. Because the tithe, the tenth, right, we we say, oh, that's God's part. When all of it's God's. God gave all of it to us to be good stewards of it. And so looking back now into our passage of Scripture, The Israelites, as they farmed the land, as they raised their crops, more than just grain, everything that came from them, as they gave back to God, they gave a tithe. And this 
for the Israelites, it was an act of faith. You know why? Because they didn't tithe out of the, the silos of grain that they harvested and poured in and, and brought out a tenth of it to give to God. <laughs> they, the, the, the tithe that they gave came right from the land, right from the harvest. And after they captured that, they brought that to God, which, which was so, it's, it's kind of like living paycheck to paycheck and, and then taking that, first, that, that, that very first fruits of your, what, you, what you bring in and then you offer it to God. That's, that's what I'm reading here and trying to understand about what God calls the people uh, that, that serve him to give. And this was a biblical mandate. It's found in Leviticus. This is the word of God. This is their law. And if they didn't, if they didn't give a tithe, it was sin. It fell short of what the law required them to do. Because God sees this as something holy. Now, normally when I preach it's quiet, but it seems a little bit more quiet today. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you a question, okay? You don't need to answer it out loud, but just think about it in your heart. What do you think about tithes being a biblical mandate? Like, hmm. Amen, I heard an amen. <laughs> um, tithes being a biblical mandate. See, can I share with you how I feel? If that's Okay. When it comes to giving to God, and, and I, I, I sincerely believe the people of this church believe the same way I do. I hope anyway. That I, I believe that giving to God, a tithe, an offering, giving my first fruits, giving the best of, of what I have to God, that's a good thing. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I think more more people here, when, when you talk about giving to God, we give to God because we love God, right? And and it's it's giving our best. It's giving the first of what we have and the best, not just our leftovers. That's my heart. I want to give that way. And I, and I believe that you do too. Tithing as a mandate from the law, it feels, good word for it, it feels obligatory, like a, it's an obligation. We have to do it. It's, it's like a religious tax almost, right? A religious tax. Who likes to pay their taxes? Say amen. <laughs> Woohoo! it's tax day. I get to give my taxes today. It's the mandate. No, nobody. Nobody enjoys that, right? And so when we look at tithing then, as a, as a mandate, you kind of get the feeling, I kind of get the feeling like, you know, um, <laughs> we're mandated to pay our taxes or, or, or we'll get penalized. And if, if, if there's too much tax we don't get paid, we might go to jail. And, and we don't like to necessarily obey mandates like that, right? Nobody enjoys that part of life. It kind of goes against our free will because we, 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 we want our roads to be better and we want the mail to come and, and we want all of the benefits that we believe that is good when we pay our taxes. 
But to have it mandated, it's like, ah, it's obligatory, you know. And so when it comes to our tithes and offerings then, I, I fear that sometimes people get the idea that it's almost the same way when it looks when you when you look at it as a mandate, right? The law requires a tithe from you, and it goes against our free will. It's not something we we will enjoy, except there is one mandate that nobody complains about. There's one mandate. That when, and I've done this and I've given this mandate over a hundred times. There's one mandate that when I give it, people joyfully respond with, yes, or more so, I do. (laughs) And that's the mandate that binds people together in a loving relationship. As a pastor, I've done over 120 weddings. I've married a few people that are here today. <laughs> and I've given them a mandate. And I've given you a mandate. And at weddings, when vows are recited in the ceremony, it is the most tender and the most treasured moment in the entire ceremony. I have seen guys strong, tough guys, as they're reciting the mandate of their relationship well up with big crocodile tears coming down their faces as they share the, 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 the promise, the vow, the mandate with the person that they love the most. And they're crying, not because they're fearful or sad. They cry. Mm. The mandate to love each other in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to keep yourself only for her, so long as you both shall live. That's your mandate. And I tell the couples that I put together in marriage, the better you keep these vows, the better you keep these mandates, the stronger and the healthier your marriage becomes. The deeper your love grows for the other person. You disobey this mandate, and the tragedy of your relationship will fail. Right? You see, mandates are there to help us. In our relationship with God especially, In our relationship with God, it works the same way. The law that God gave wasn't to oppress the people. The law that God gave to the people were to strengthen the relationship that the people had with God, to help them honor God and love God and help live a life of faithfulness to God and God alone. That's why he has priority and preeminence. If you disobey the law, then the relationship with God becomes tragic. And so, where it all goes wrong is when the mandate becomes the main thing and not the relationship. 
in a marriage relationship, when, you, when, you're, when you're so focused on the mandate that you lose sight of the person that you love the most, when our eyes are on the law and not the one we love, when, when it comes to stewardship, the giving of the first fruits and the tithe that is called for by God, I believe the heart of it all comes back to a relationship of love. Of love. Do you know that in the New Testament, you will read it from Matthew to the end of Revelation, and nowhere will you find a mandate to tithe. Did you know that? Instead, over and over and over and over again, you will find a call to love generously as an expression of our faith. To give generously, not as a mandate to be obeyed, but as a relationship to foster and to love. When it comes to giving, God is the greatest example of generous giving in love. Now, we know, right? We know how to give generously because we do that with the people that we care for. If you're in a relationship with someone, you you give the very best. If, If you're a parent, you give your children the very best. If you don't have children and you have nieces and nephews, you, you spoil them because we know how to good, give good gifts to our children, to the people that we love the most. Jesus recognized that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 10, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And he says, that If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask of Him? So much more. Amen? God is the giver of every good thing. God gave us His one and only Son, His first and His best to us. And you know when He did it? He did it when we fell at his feet and, 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 and gave up all the sin in our lives so we can be sold out to God. That's when he gave us Jesus, right? No. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners is when Christ died for us. Woo-hoo. And so, church, here we have God, the giver of all good things, giving us the example of how to give well, to give generously, and to give as an expression of love. God gave us His only Son. He gave us the first, and He gave us the best because He loves, and He set the example of giving for us. And so, what is the response of anybody who has received this great gift of love from God? What is your response to that? Well, it is when we gather And we worship Him. And we give back to Him the glory and the honor that is due to Him. Our response to His love is worship. And when we give, we worship. 
When we give to God, we worship God. Our worship is an offering. So when we receive our tithes and our offerings, it's our gift back to God as an act of worship. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To, to give of everything that we have because everything that we have comes from God. This is the heart of giving generously to God as an offering. Not because we have to, but because we love to. Oh, this is the heart of stewardship. And so, in the New Testament, giving to God is less and less about a strict 10% of our tithe and more and more about positioning our heart as an act of worship and giving generously to God. Right? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 6 through 8. Hear the word. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen to that. Giving generously shows something about who we are. It shows that we are transformed by the grace of God. Pastor Bob talked about grace this morning in Sunday school. We're transformed by the grace of God in that when we give and worship, we move from a sense of duty to a sense of delight. We give because we love. And we know how to give good gifts. You do. And when we understand that biblical stewardship is not about the 10% that the Bible requires in the Old Testament, but about positioning our hearts to give so that we can express our great love for God, then we can give cheerfully. We give wonderfully and generously. God loves a cheerful giver. When I was the pastor at the Bridge Church, I attended another church that did something that I was so impressed by that I stole it and I brought it back to my church and we did it for 20 years. And that is this. When we received the tithes and offerings on Sunday mornings, we quoted 2 Corinthians 9-7, which says, God loves a cheerful giver. And the whole church would go, woohoo! And they'd cheer. And then we'd, we'd receive the tithes and offerings. Because I wanted so much for my church back in Hawaii to have a heart of giving generously. To position our heart to show our great affection for God. That, church, 
is a biblical stewardship. That is what God desires more than anything. So here at Mission, we're not going to cheer every Sunday. Relax. (laughs) Here at Mission Church, we don't want anyone to give out of compulsion or duty or obligation. That's not our heart. That's not your pastor's heart. We don't want that. We don't want giving to grieve anyone. We want to rejoice when we give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. So, as we close today, hear me when I say this. We're not taking an offering right now. You know why? Because I never want to use my sermon to exploit the church in any way, shape, or form. That is ungodly. And instead, my call to you is this. That today as we close the service, you allow the word of God to enumerate, to move in your heart. As a pastor, I try to use big words to impress you. I just stick with the basics, right? (laughs) Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. To allow this message to speak to you. And the next time that you're given the opportunity to give, that you would recall what God has called all of us to do. And that is to love him deeply with how we give. So I invite you to bow your heads today and join me as we close this time in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for being a generous God. Thank you for being a God that gives us all things. That all that we have comes from you. That is our biblical understanding of stewardship. And when we understand that everything comes from you, then whatever we return to you was yours to begin with. And I pray, Lord God, that through this journey of of going through an understanding of stewardship, of what it means to tithe and, and to give an offering as an act of worship, that today and moving forward, I pray, Father in heaven, that our lives would not be the same But instead, Lord God, we would be the kind of stewards that live life to honor you. Because we are the first fruits of your creation. May we be people who give you the very first of all that we have and to give you the best of who we are each and every day of our lives. That, Lord God, is my prayer for biblical stewardship for our church. And we ask this in the mighty, strong, and powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.